the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. It's time once again for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, and oh, we're so glad you're with us. Here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Jeffrey Sennis, once again, doing our engineering. Andrew Hertliska produces the show. And we're so pleased that Susie Larson is with us. She's up there in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul area, host of the popular radio show, Susie Larson Live. But we're going to be talking about her book, Closer Than Your Next Breath. Susie, uh, we're so glad to have you in Orlando. How are you? I'm well. So good to be with you, Pat. Thanks for having me. Tell me about this book. You know, Closer Than Your Next Breath is all about the presence of God, and that's why the subtitle comes first, Where is God When You Need Him Most? And it was such an important topic to me because I think we so often misunderstand the presence of God. And one of the things I address in, in the book is, do we often chase the sensational and miss the supernatural? And sometimes we do that because we may encounter God, maybe at a conference or in some setting, and then we try to recreate that because once you taste and touch of God's presence, you want nothing more. And so if I could go back to just give you a little backstory on my story and interrupt me if you need to, but just for context sake, why this is such an important topic to me. I was raised in a large family of seven kids, and I was in a denomination where I really knew God was real, but I didn't know Jesus was accessible. I didn't, there wasn't the gospel preached or anything, but as a girl, I, just a young girl, I could sense God's nearness. I just had no doubt he was real, which was so kind of him. And uh, when I was about nine years old, uh, some boys in my neighborhood uh, snuck up behind me, pinned me to the ground, and I suffered a sexual assault. And um, my dad was the mayor of our city uh, for 27 years, so we were a public family. And I was so confused about what had happened, and these boys were connected to my brothers, and uh, so I thought I would bring scandal on our family. I just didn't know what to do with that, so I stuffed it, but it obviously opened up a canyon of fear and insecurity, and then you jump ahead a, a year later. I'm about 10 years old. I'm still about four-foot tall girl. You know, I'm walking home, and we lived, uh, I had to cross a baseball field to get home after school, and uh, a different group of boys were hanging out in the dugout, and I think they were high on something, but all I remember hearing is, get her. And they ran me down and knocked me to the ground and beat me real bad. And they were laughing wildly as they did it, but they kicked and punched and pulled fistfuls of hair out. And I'm curled in a ball crying as they're beating me up for sport. And when they were done with me and they kind of pushed off me, they were laughing as they left. You know, can you believe we just did that? And I got a fat lip and scratches on my face and snarls in my hair. I so had my belt rung. I, I got up so traumatized. 
And I heard in my ear, not audibly, but I heard, I can get you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. And that at the moment, Pat, I knew the devil was real. And so as a young girl, um, I had a very strong sense of that I may have to endure everything I fear, that God is real, but I don't know that he'll intervene on my behalf. And uh, I don't have time to get into all of it, but I became a, teen, a Christian in my teens. But I, at that point, knew I was saved, but I didn't know I was loved. And I think that's the case for even a lot of older Christians, that if you know you're saved theologically, you understand the gospel, but you really don't understand that you're loved, you will misuse your time, treasure, and talents to prove something that Jesus has already proven. And that's what I did as just a young high school girl, as a decent athlete and gymnast and cheerleader and all those things, always trying to dig myself out of a hole. And then you jump ahead as a young 20-something, met my dear husband, who was raised in an evangelical faith and uh, had a very solid biblical background. And I had all kinds of passion, and I could not wait to chase after Jesus, to raise kids, to love Jesus. We had to have our kids right away because I had something called endometriosis and needed hysterectomy in my 20s. So we had three kids, three boys right away. And during one of those pregnancies, I was on bed rest for six months. And, um, of course, here I am, a, a Christian who's serving on five committees because I love God, but also because I'm striving. I, I just felt like I I had something to prove. And uh, so to go to bed with a one and a three-year-old for six months was uh, like all of my insecurities and fears surfaced, and I couldn't pay back any of the favors people were doing for me. And God, it seemed silent. And I felt like he lost my address. And uh, I wondered, did he change his mind about me? You know, and in the middle of that time, about three months into bed rest, I was six months along, uh, the doctors let me get up and just test the waters and see if I could manage being up a little bit. And I met my old college roommates. We had lunch. It was a fall day in the Midwest, and that didn't work. I had to go back to bed that night. And two weeks from that outing, my face started to go numb and my arms started to go numb. And uh, long story short, once we delivered our third son, my health plummeted. And at first they thought MS or brain tumor, and they ruled those out, and it was Lyme disease. So that one day I got up. I was unknowingly bit by the deer tick, and again, I hear in my ear, I can get to you anytime, anywhere. And so my story, Pat, has been one of a lot of twists and turns, a lot of hardship, a lot of suffering, but in those places, there were times God broke through with so much clarity, teaching me how to stand on his word and how to not believe my fears more than I believe his promises. And in those moments when God would break through, it was everything to me. And, I, and I, I felt like I got a revelation from God about how to navigate my storm. But then the times in between, as a young believer, I would panic. Because I'm like, well, where did you go? Did, did you change your mind? And are your promises still true? And this book is meant to be a healing balm for people to not only steward the times when God does break through, because oftentimes when he does, he's addressing issues of identity, like who you are, who he is, what your calling is. But then how do you steward the times in between? Is he still God? Is he still good? Is his presence still for your good, even if you can't sense him? So I love this book, and my prayer is that people will be just know that they're tethered to a good God who sings over them, uh, even in the seasons when they can't feel him. Susie Larson is our guest. Susie, if God is everywhere all the time, <clears throat> why do some people feel his presence more often than others? That's a great question and a complicated one. I would say, for one, we do need to cultivate a lifestyle, a listening lifestyle, where we linger with God. I think so often we'll say, God's not speaking, but the truth is we're not listening. You know, overcommitment, busyness, harboring grudges and sin in your heart, 
all those things will quench the spirit in our lives. So I think I always go first with me. If I don't sense his presence, if I don't hear him talking, I start with me. Lord, is there anything in me? You know, I pray Psalm 139, search me, O God, and show me. And as my friend Maria says, you know, if you start there and you, you ask God to search your heart, and if he shows you something, repent. And then she says, but then roar, you know, and if he doesn't show you anything, just roar, because there's times where you're not always going to feel his presence, but there are times it is something with us. So I think start with you going, Lord, am I missing it? Is there something in my heart that I'm not seeing? I mean, even Paul said, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. So for me, I think it's wisdom to say, is there something I'm missing? But if he doesn't show you anything and you're truly walking through a silent season and you can't hear what he's saying, well, then you remember what he said. You pick up the word, you read, and even if it doesn't feel true, you've got to just make the choice to believe it is true. Because those who walk through those seasons when you can't really sense him, but you remember that God is God and that he loves you, you literally will come through those places stronger and wiser with a firmer grasp on who God is. So I think that we rely so much on feelings all the time, and that's why we may chase, you know, sensational over the supernatural. I mean, he's in every nuanced nook and cranny of our lives, and we skip over some of those things. I mean, new morning mercies, right? I mean, the birth of a baby, the laughter of a child, lemonade stands, and, you know, I mean, everything, every good gift is from him. And I think the more we can look around and go, wow, every good gift in my life, has a gift tag on it from God to me, and I'm going to remember that I am so beyond cared for by this God, you will more often sense his presence. You will see goodness when it comes because you're cultivating a life that's looking for him and noticing him when he shows up. Susie Susie Larson is with us, Minneapolis, closer than your next breath. Susie, what difference does the presence of God make in our lives today if we can't feel him? This is a super important question because, again, we're so accustomed to what we feel and we let our emotions lead, and I think what we feel is important. But, again, as you know, feelings come and go. So I say if you could peel the sky back in one of those seasons where you feel like maybe God's abandoned you, everything's going wrong, if you could peel the sky back and you could see the Father's affection, towards you, his smile over you, his song over you. You would see him pointing to warring angels, charging them to be activated on your behalf. You would all all of a sudden realize there's so much activity going on in the heavenly realm on your behalf because you belong to God. And when you have faith, it's so precious to him. He moves on your faith. And I think it's super important to have confidence that he's still the same God, the God that deserves our worship and our praise, the God that's moving even when we can't sense it. And, you know, when I was walking through some of the worst parts of Lyme disease, I still battle on different fronts, but I'm, I've come a long way. But as a young mom with three little kids and this wretched disease, so many neurological symptoms, it wrecked my short-term memory. I went through Streams in the Desert. It's a devotional um, that's just great for sufferers. And there was a, in that uh, devotional, I referenced this in the book, an entry about a woman who had a dream. And in the dream, there were three women kneeling before Jesus. And she's standing with an angel. And the angel said, watch what happens and tell me what you think. And so Jesus goes before the first woman kneeling, and he holds her face in his hands and rustles her hair and speaks tenderly. The second one, he doesn't say much, but he you know, touches her head and kind of gives her an affirming pat. And the third one, he looks away and walks away. And the woman interprets it. Well, the first woman is all in, and Jesus is affirming that. The second one is kind of one foot in, one foot out, and Jesus is addressing that accordingly. And the third one is squandering her life. And the angel said, you couldn't be more wrong. 
The first one is a brand new believer so relies on affirmations and confirmations and emotional senses of God's presence. The second one is maturing, and he's weaning her off of always needing to feel things in order to believe things. And the third one is being trained up for greatness, and she's in a silent season now and learning to trust who God is. That changed so much for me, Pat, because I was in those places so often, but that is where I learned to trust him. I mean, I remember at one point lying on the floor with my three boys. I'd used up all my friend favors, and my prayers switched from going, would you heal me, God, you know, to let me at least live long enough to raise my son. And in the middle of that, a woman called, and she said, I've been hearing the chatter about your life, and, you know, some were gossiping about me because people didn't know much about Lyme three decades ago. And, and she said, I needed to know for myself what God was doing with you because I know you to be a woman who fears God. So she said, I brought your case before the Lord. She said, listen to me, Susie Larson. He showed me a platform that he's building with your pain. You're going to lean in, and you're going to learn everything you can because you're going to have a story to tell. Susie Larson is our guest. Her book, Closer Than Your Next Breath. We've got more with Susie. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. In Orlando, we'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Susie Larson joins us from Minneapolis. Talking about her book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? Susie, if every good gift comes from God, is feeling good the same as feeling God? What do you think? Hmm. Well, you know, in the in between each chapter, I do something. I write uh, what I call ponder His presence, where I address a lot of these questions about His presence, and that's one of them: is feeling good, feeling God. And my opening part of that is I say, for me, it is true because I contend daily for health because I want to I want to show up feeling good. So because I'm so aware of the daily symptoms I manage and all I have to do to manage the health challenges, keep inflammation down. On my good days, I do feel God. I will just tell you, I praise him, I thank him because some days are such a struggle. But that said, feeling good isn't always the same as feeling God because there's times you're going to walk through seasons that don't feel good, but you still may feel God because the Bible says he's near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And, you know, in fact, Paul even said, I want to know him. He said, I want to know him in the, in the resurrection power and the fellowship of his suffering. Those are the two places where we most often encounter God, is when we encounter his power in some way and when he meets us on that road of suffering. So plenty of times we don't feel good, but we can feel God. And then I'll move it even a little further down the road to say there are some who are living their best life right now. They've got lots of money in the bank. The kids are doing great. But they don't know God at all. But they're saying, I feel great, but they're not feeling God. And then there's others who are temporarily numbing their pain with whatever indulgence of their choice. And they might say, I'm feeling great. I feel good. But they're not feeling God. They're feeling the buzz of a temporary indulgence, postponing dealing with their pain. But that same person may come to a place where as they're trying to numb their pain, they feel the warmth of the sun on their face. They feel a little bit of peace enter their heart and they sense an invitation to look up. Well, that's God. So I think it's super important to understand where he meets us and how he meets us. And feeling good isn't always the same as feeling God. But for some of us who feel bad physically, you know, when we get a moment 
uh, feeling good, it is a great gift from God, and we know it. Now, uh, Susie, I want you to tell us if God can intervene, why doesn't he? That's probably one of the most painful questions, and um, and I've asked it myself, you know. There is such a mystery to God's ways, and um, I don't know about some of the things you've suffered, Pat, but I'll tell you for me as someone who's, again, I was a fitness professional. I was in fitness for 12 years, so the, the irony of being a fit-minded person and battling so long with a health challenge has been pretty significant, and I even had someone email me once who said, Susie, you're a leader at your level, and you're still not healed? Like, where's your faith? And uh, that that hurt <laughs> because, you know, what I have learned is I've contended for healing and contended for other people to come through their desperate situations is that A plus B does not always equal C. There's not a formula that works. You know, our faith is not a formula. It's, it's an offering, and there is a mystery to God's ways. And what I don't fully understand, but I learn enough about God's goodness to trust him in his ways, is that there are just things we're not going to understand on this side of heaven. But what I do know for every believer, anything he allows, he redeems. And I remember, you know, I had a massive relapse with my health eight years ago. My arms were going numb. My face was going numb. The room was spinning. And then like, oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. Please not now. Not at this stage. Not after all this time. And the Lord whispered to my heart, the storms reveal the lives we believe and the truths we need. I'm like, What? The storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. And I'm like, well, what is the lie that I believe? And I heard it in my ear again. Remember the story I told you from my childhood? I can get you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. And the Lord turned her back, and he said, Susie, you are a serious follower of Jesus, but you have believed that lie your whole life. It is not true he can get to you anytime, anywhere. I'm not going to let you lose, but I have to let you fight. You don't even know how I provided or what I prevented in your life. I'm not going to let you lose but I have to let you fight. And what I've learned after all these years of walking with God is what he allows, he does redeem. And these storms, we want instantaneous healing, instantaneous relief, but God wants redemption for our story. And if we can settle down and clear the field of all the enemy distractions of fear, of him baiting us into trauma fears and worry about the future, where we can settle into the peace and the goodness of God, he will give us a strategy through the valley. I don't know why he allows unimaginable pain. But I know he redeems it, and he promises to do that. And Scripture says what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us when he returns. Now, Susie, I I want you to dive into this topic for us. Can we chase the presence of God? What do you think? I think we can run hard after God, and we can stay on his heels. And again, I, I think that's that's different than chasing sensation and chasing events and chasing emotions, but running hard after God. I mean, David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper than a big deal anywhere else. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house in the presence of God. And I've heard people say, because he's omnipresent, it's unbiblical to ask for more of him. But I just disagree, you know? No matter how long you walk with God, you hold a Dixie cup and the ocean remains. And I'm trying to imagine you being at the ocean, your child's back in the hotel and you bring them back a Dixie cup. And here's the ocean. This is the ocean. Like be satisfied. And he's like, well, I, I want more of the ocean. <laughs> and I just know for me, and I know from all the people I've interviewed and how long I've walked with God, that everybody would testify who's a serious follower. I know some things now about God. I didn't know back then. Even Jesus told his disciples, there's more I want to tell you, but you can't handle it yet. So, you know, God is who he, he's not the static inertia. He's a force. He's 
power. And I think as we run hard after him to say, God, search my heart, show me, you know, give the enemy less real estate in my life and you more real estate. He moves on those prayers. And there's plenty of scripture that speak of his proximity. Like he's not static. He's near to the brokenhearted. He draws near to the humble. He distances himself from the proud. So, yes, I say I'm running hard after God. I mean, I run this race with purpose in every step. In fact, I throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That's what scripture talks about is a focused, purposeful pursuit of God, where we are running with him, running after him, and he blesses and rewards those who earnestly seek after him. So, yes, I do think the chase is worth it. Next topic I want you to expand for us. Can we block the presence of God? Yeah, well, Scripture talks about we can grieve the Spirit, we can quench the Spirit. And one of the stories I tell in the book, just to give an example of that, is an artist that you would know if I mentioned his name, but I I just won't. But he was amazing, and I still love him so much. But in the early years of marriage, he was still playing in high school gyms, and before he kind of shot out of the cannon and became a massive artist, but he was, oh, it was the most beautiful concert. And toward the end, he was just lingering with God, just picking on his guitar and everybody could sense, I'm telling you, you could have heard a pin drop and all of a sudden people started to weep. And it was one of those tangible moments where God was just doing something. And he was singing about God's perfect strength and our weakness. And we were all like, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but we just almost couldn't move. It was so beautiful. And we're just lingering. And he was just thanking God for the night. And all of a sudden, you hear the feedback of the mic. A host had stepped up in front of him and tap, tap, tap on the mic. Is this thing on? And he's like, well, you know, these things don't pay for themselves. And he just was so insensitive to what God was doing in the moment. And it was this jarring whiplash. We were all opened our eyes and we're like, oh, okay. And I would say, you know, if that was a flame, the man doused it with a bucket of water. And there are times that we quench the spirit because I'm sure of excesses that you see in the church. I've seen this plenty where people have seen that and they're so nervous about God doing anything but through the power of the spirit that they just quench it, they douse it. I don't want to go there. Um, And other times people are just so afraid of where God might lead them. But I just would say, man, if we can trust God, he can lead his church. And if we can cultivate uh, spaces in our life where we sincerely want to hear from God, he will move and he will speak to us. But our hearts need to be receptive. And I'll just interrupt me, Pat, if you need to. But one last quick thing here is A.W. Tozer. He's one of my favorite dead guys. And I remember he wondered, he's like, if God is no respecter of persons, why do some experience him and go on to do great things for him above other people? And he studied biblical history and our contemporary history. And he found the differences in these people were so stark. But the one common denominator possessed what he called spiritual receptivity. He said they cultivated a listening life. And when the Lord spoke, they did something about it. I can't think of anything more important to do with our time than to cultivate a life that's sensitive to the spirit of God and the presence of God. My life verse is Psalm 169, and so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. That's where the Israelites lost their way. They stopped seeking God. They stopped listening to his voice. They identified more with their fears and their discomfort than they did with his promise to redeem them. That grieved God's heart, and it impacted how they walked out their faith journey. Susie, we've got less than two minutes. What does it mean to fear God? You know, it's it's not a terror. It's not, you know, when you think of a, a child who's 
got a father who's impulsive and angry and you never know which way he's coming, they're, they have like a trauma fear because they don't know which way is up. But a true reverence and an honor is rightly seeing God as he is. My boys had a right reverence before God. They loved him. They bantered. They were playful. But if he said something, they knew he meant it. And the beginning of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I'm telling you, if you study scripture and you, uh, you realize that this man, this God, merely spoke and the heavens came to be, and you honor him rightly, it will change your life. You will start to understand who it is that you serve and who it is that's on your side. Um, Susie, what do you want people to take from our chat? I want people in the message of Closer Than Your Next Breath to know that they're tethered to a good God so that even in the silent seasons, they don't misread those seasons. They trust God is good. His promises are true, and he will always make a way for you. As you grow more confident in his character, you will more wisely steward your story. Susie Larson has been our guest. Just a reminder, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We've been doing this show for many years, and uh, enjoy every single one of them. And we hope you do as well. Whenever you turn to AM 990, and FM, 101.5, the word. We hope it's a, it's a positive experience for you. By the way, Susie Larson, host of the popular radio show, Susie Larson Live. Go get her book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? We will be right back. We've got more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Folks, we continue with enthusiastic ladies. Susie Larson in that first segment up in Minneapolis. And now here comes Kelly Needham in the Dallas area. She co-hosts the Clearly podcast, but we're going to talk about her book, Purposeful Fooled, Why Chasing Your Dreams, Finding Your Calling, and Reaching for Greatness Will Never Be Enough. Kelly, welcome to Orlando. It's uh, so nice to catch up with you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Pat. I'm so happy to be here. What's the background of this book? Uh, why, Why was it important to write? Um, Well, for me, it was a topic I was wrestling with, especially through most of my 20s, as I really had the role of kind of all things background with my husband. He was doing music ministry, touring, traveling on stage, sharing the gospel with people, and here I am kind of behind the scenes folding t-shirts, booking travel, and really asking myself, is, does this even matter? Am I, is what I'm doing important? And so I really began to wrestle with uh, meaning, purpose, significance, and how our work plays into that all through my 20s. And this book really is the fruit of that years later. Section one, our purpose problem. Explain that. Yeah. Well, as I read books to try and, again, get help for myself, what I found was we almost almost entirely define our purpose by what we do. In the secular spaces and religious spaces, it's your purpose is blank, and we will put verbs in that category. My purpose is to write. My purpose is to teach. My, you know, fill in the blank. The problem with that is 
now you have to do that work to be okay because you desperately need meaning and purpose. And so it actually becomes problematic if you define your purpose by a set of tasks or activities or even a type of work, even though you may be genuinely gifted at it, it may be what God has set before you to do, but if it is your purpose, you're going to have a really hard time with transitional seasons in your life. Maybe when you have to become a caregiver, you have to step out of certain roles for a season. It will become problematic if your purpose is tied to a set of tasks. Let's move to section two. Your purpose is a person. <laughs> Tell us more. Yeah, well, the conclusion of that problematic section of, I mean, if I find my purpose in a set of verbs, it's going to be a problem. What I really think I see in the Bible as I was studying that is my purpose is, is not a set of verbs. It's a noun. My purpose is a person that I was made. My very existence is tied not to doing but to being. And I was made to know God, be known by him, and live my life with him and for him. And that really changed the game for me as far as how I even decided what was a meaningful day in activity, a set of activities. Uh, because if it was for a person, not a set of verbs, all of a sudden life could have meaning because that's what I was made for. And it really produced for me the freedom to uh, rest and not run myself ragged doing because uh, I didn't have to do to find meaning anymore. And it actually allowed me to work harder, better, smarter, uh, with more ability to take risks because I didn't need the work to be okay. I was okay before doing anything because my purpose was a person. Now I can actually use everything in front of me um, in a, a more free and meaningful way. I want to move to uh, section three. It's called Great in Him. And I want you to expand on that for us, Kelly. Sure, Pat. You know, uh, knowing that you are made for a person, not for verbs, doesn't get rid of these deep longings in your heart. And so, you know, in this section, I really begin to explore these deep aches that I found in my own heart. Uh, the first being that I want to do great things. And I don't know who doesn't resonate with that. We want to accomplish and do things that are significant and that can help us get remembered. But the problem is, is eventually all our work um, really gets buried under time. And as we pass on and the next generation comes on behind us. And so if we look for our own activities to be our significance, we're going to struggle. But again, if our purpose is a person, um, now how do we do great things? How do we find a satisfaction to that longing in the person of God? And what's interesting is, uh, people who follow Jesus, Jesus ask the same questions. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? And what Jesus will respond with is, you have to be like a child. You have to be a recipient. Uh, you have to be a servant. There's a lot of these um, just receiving uh, qualities here that we'll actually find that the way that we really can achieve greatness is not to achieve it ourselves, but to receive it from the one we were made for. Section number four. Seen by him. Explain that for us. Yeah, that's this next longing for me that really bubbled up is that I want to be seen. And, and which one of us doesn't struggle with that or resonate with that in the age of social media when we really can't put our lives on display before audiences with the ease of a button? We have a deep desire to be seen. I think that's human nature. I think it's a good longing. And the problem is, though, if we live to be seen by people around us, again, we will be enslaved. We will run ourselves into the ground trying to perform for others. But 
again, the redirection we see from Jesus is uh, don't live to be seen by others. Rather, live to be seen by the one who sees in secret. He doesn't actually advocate for us to not live for an audience. He says you should do everything for an audience but you should do it for an eternal audience, one that sees all things. And it actually expands our whole lives to not just go only what I'm doing publicly or on stages or on social media is seen. Actually, every activity of my life is seen and now can be infused with meaning because of a better audience. Section number five, impactful through him. What does that mean? Yeah, we want to make a difference, make an impact. Um, that is a, a, a deep desire. You know, it's uh, Dostoevsky, a, a famous Russian writer who had said, uh, if you want to drive a man crazy, make him do you know, one task over and over again and erase it. You know, make him fill up a hole with dirt and then dig it again the next day. And it's enough to drive a man crazy because we, we were made to do work that matters. Uh, we want what we're doing to actually have an impact in the world. Um, but again, that becomes problematic if we look at it only through what we can accomplish. And honestly, there's a lot of groups of people in the world who don't have the opportunities or the options to accomplish great things or do great things, whether they're caregivers in their roles, uh, whether they have disabilities themselves or their children or their elderly. Um, but that heart cry is still there. I, I want to make a difference. I want to do things that matter. But again, if we will chase that impact through a person, uh, what we see is the thing that really is impacting the world is, is faith. It is uh, dependency on God and uh, that expressing itself in our heart postures, our willingness to do simple good work set in front of us. Those things get remembered for eternity and actually impact the world in ways we can't really measure with our the way we tend to measure things you know, in numbers here, but they do have a lasting impact in the way that we really want. It's time now. Uh, to move to the sixth area of your book. We're talking with Kelly Needham in the Dallas, Texas area. Purpose Fooled, that's the name of her book. Section six, Kelly, irreplaceable because of him. Explain. That irreplaceable is that last longing that I've really seen show up in my heart. It's this desire to want something unique to do um, that we really long for, our unique role within the world, within the kingdom of God. We want something that is something only we can do. And I think, again, I think that's a good longing. But if you look around you at what uh, we're being told within our modern literature about that, um, by and large, we we're, we're, have a very narrow view. We, when we think about what can only I do, we tend to assess only our passions our skill sets, um, things that we're good at, and that is uh, important. But when I ask myself the question, what can only I do? Uh, Only I can be a wife to Jimmy. Only I can be a mom to my five kids. No one else can do that. Only I can be the neighbor to the two people who live next door to me. There are so many things that only I can do that are beyond my own particular skill sets and passions, and that makes every moment of my life utterly unique. So I actually have an extremely irreplaceable role, but it's not because of something in me. It's because of the person of God who is orchestrating things around me, moving people into the houses next door to me, putting children in my life or uh, people in my life. 
that I have a role to play in. My life is utterly unique, but not because of who I am and what's going on inside me, but because of who God is and what he's orchestrating around me and in me and through me. Kelly, uh, we've got about two minutes. Where did you grow up and, and what were your early years in life like? I, I grew up in the Houston area in a great family that really set me up for success in a lot of ways. Um, I was raised in church and, and had a moment in my really awkward junior high years of encountering the living God through the pages of the Bible. And that really changed the trajectory of my life um, and uh, attached a lot of big dreams and goals to that. But over the years, I've, I've seen God trans, uh, just change how that looked and how I understood that. But I've really come back to what I discovered in those early years of my life. I really was made for a person, and that's the only thing that's going to satisfy. If I achieve everything I ever wanted, it's never going to be enough. Only the person of God will be enough for me, and that's the drum I'm beating till the day I die. (laughs) Uh, Where did you go to college, and and what were your goals then? What were you studying? Yeah, I went to college at Texas A&M. And uh, studied finance there. Love numbers, love math, which is so funny that I write books now, but um, had goals to just use that set of skills in finance to be helpful in whatever um, uh, job opportunities would be in front of me. You know, finance is a degree that can be used in a, a lot of different applications and ended up using it on the road, uh, touring with my husband, but have since used it in my home life here with my family and a lot of other areas. Folks, we're talking with Kelly Needham. Uh, she's in the Dallas, Texas area. She co-hosts the Clearly podcast. Her book is called Purpose Fooled, Why Chasing Your Dreams, Finding Your Calling, and Reaching for Greatness Will Never Be Enough. We have another segment with Kelly. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990. And FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Kelly Needham is with us. So we're talking about her book, Purpose Fooled. Kelly, we've arrived at Section 7. Uh, There are nine topics here, and I want to have you explain each one of them to us. Uh, The section is called Noun-Obsessed Verbs, and uh, the first topic here is called a noun-obsessed life. What does that mean? (laughs) Yeah, that's an interesting phrase. You know, the book is really built on this idea that we were made uh, not to do big things, but to know someone, not to do great things, but to know the great one. We were made for a noun, a person. And I think when we live with that in mind, we'll actually find everything we're looking for as far as a life of meaning and significance. And so I took actually one person in particular, a woman named Corey Tenboom, uh, who some people may be familiar with. She lived uh, during World War II. Her and her family hid Jews. In Holland, and books have been written about her life. Movies have been made about her life. You know, it really screams at you. This is a a life that mattered. But if you read her story, what you find is someone who didn't set out to change the world, who didn't set out to do big things, but she really had set out to follow God. And as her life unfolded, that ended up uh, just with radical implications for her. 
But uh, I held up her life as an example to say this is the type of life we all want to live. But it started with I. she was obsessed and her family was obsessed with the person of God and making sure that their lives are fully at his disposal. And that just happened to mean some really unique things for them in that time. Next topic under Section 7. Don't figure it out. Follow him. <laughs> yeah, we really feel an eagerness to figure out what are we supposed to do with our lives. We want to read, a, there's a thousand books we could read that will give us a thousand different ways to consider that and evaluate our lives. And I don't think that um, to some degree there's anything wrong with that. We do have some ownership to steward the things in our lives well. But again, when I, as somebody who is a, a Bible reader, I'm, I'm reading my Bible going, and that, I don't see that command anywhere. Go figure out what you should do. Uh, what you see is Jesus looking at people and saying, just follow me. Just stay close to me. And if we stay close to him, what we're going to see is uh, our lives take on meaning and significance and actually have a wildly bigger impact because we're staying close to the one who really is the effective world changer. Now I want to keep moving. Don't die for your dreams. Die to them. Explain that. <laughs> yeah, we have, uh, again, a culture that is uh, telling us to look at what's in our hearts, dreams that we have for our life, and to chase them. And uh, sometimes, I don't know about everybody listening, but there's a lot of things that I've dreamed for my life that have not come to pass. Um, some things have, but there's a lot of things that I have longed to do that my circumstances have just set fire to those things. And if I believe the message that living my dream is what's going to make me happy, then that's going to mean a lot of my life um, is a tragedy. Um, I longed to be a mom earlier in my 20s and had three miscarriages. I had longings to uh, do certain types of uh impactful ministry and other things. And I had to die to that as I had to come alongside my husband and be a help to what he was doing. But what you see again in the scriptures is a, a person who is producing change in the world through death, that Jesus looks at a cross and it is actually through dying that there is power on the other side of that resurrection life. The seed that falls into the ground and dies, it will bear much fruit. And so a lot of times when our circumstances force us to let a dream die for right now, for a season, maybe forever, that doesn't mean that something is lost. It could mean that something is about to grow and bloom. And so we don't need to be afraid when those changes come. It may be the doorway to something genuinely beautiful and effective and powerful. I want you to explain, don't prize your skills Prize your everything. <laughs> Explain that. Yeah, we tend to hold very highly our unique skill sets. Uh, I think all of us are wired to do different things well. I I can't write songs like my husband can. He's very good at that. Um, I write. Uh, that's something that is a skill that's grown that I love to use and get to and, and did in this book. But that's not the only thing I have at my disposal to use and utilize for living an effective and meaningful life. Um, I have relationships entrusted to me to prize, to hold highly. There are, is influence I have in specific relationships with people. I have circumstances that are handed to me and not to someone else. And some of those years when I was 
kind of behind the scenes with my husband, I was sometimes the only person in the backstage room with the caterer. And I had some really amazing moments uh, with people as I engaged them in conversation. But that was something that only I could do. I was the only one there. There are unique things that I've suffered, ways that uh, things I've walked through that I can steward, experiences, opportunities, so many things that are in our lives that we can look at and go, how can I use this? Uh, so much more than just a skill set. And that's my hope in, in that section of the book is just to say you have so much at your disposal. Don't narrow it just to particular passion or skill set. Broaden how you see that. Kelly Needham, our guest near, near Dallas, Texas. Kelly, uh, you then say, don't build your platform, build his. <laughs> yes, we are living in a culture, right, of you can go go build whatever type of platform you want. You don't actually need a physical stage anymore. We have digital stages. You can start a YouTube account, and you can get a social media following. And those things in and of themselves aren't bad. You can find me on YouTube and on social media. So I don't see that as wrong. But, uh, again, if we're going to be people who follow Jesus, what we see is, is him looking at us saying, let's build not our own stage but his, because in the end, that's all that's going to last anyway. And so for me, what that has meant is when I have opportunities to welcome others into this vibrant life of following Jesus, that has to take first priority because that's how he's building his kingdom. Individual by individual, he is looping people into his uh, kingdom advancing. And so when my neighbor comes to me with questions about Jesus, but I may have had big plans for the day to get some writing done, I need to set aside my writing and take advantage of this opportunity. Or when my child has questions about uh, their life or about death or heaven and hell, I put aside the emails that I need to respond to to have that conversation with that that child because it's a, a platform that lasts that I want to build, not just my own. Uh, do you uh, feel comfortable sharing your faith or do you get nervous? Oh, I get nervous every time. <laughs> it's never easy for me. Um, but I believe with all my heart that nothing else matters. And so uh, with nerves in my gut and my hands kind of shaking, I fumble my way through my words to try my best to introduce people to the Jesus I love so much. But it's never been easy for me. I have learned, Kelly, uh, a, an interesting little technique uh, with people Um after you get to know them a little bit, just one question. Do you believe that there's a life after this one? Mm-hmm. It's not offending. And and you know what most people say back to me? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? And boom, bam, boom, the door is wide <laughs> open. But, but, I, but that happens most of the time with a, with one who is, um, uh, you know, spiritually, nowhere uh, but but they do say i don't know but what do you think mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and now now the door is open to explain that yes i believe that there is life after this one uh in fact uh, that life's going to take place in one of two places uh, a place called heaven which is wonderful uh, but another place is called hell which is the worst and 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 most people will say to me, "Well, I don't want to go there." <laughs> and then and then you just say, uh, "Well, would you like to go to heaven?" Of course. 
uh, do you know how to get there? Well, I'm a good person. You know, I, I, I've done a lot of good things. You know, that you, mm-hmm. and anyway, I'm, I'm wandering here a little bit, but, uh, uh, no, that's a, such a great, helpful, and clear tactic to just open the door for the most important conversation in anyone's life. I love that. Don't live as an individual, you write. Live as a member. Now, you're going to have to explain that to us, Kelly. <laughs> um, yeah, so much of our cultural understanding of uh, right now, chasing your dreams, living a meaningful life, is very centered on us evaluating ourselves, looking at ourselves, assessing things. I actually don't think that's the best form of evaluation. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I have a degree in finance. I actually never enjoyed writing. It was not something I thought I would ever do or like, but it was actually when I was a just living as a member of a community of believers in a local church and serving within that context that other people around me began to notice certain uh, knacks for communication or interest in writing. They began to communicate to me and kind of draw out of me. So I actually think that when we live, not just as individuals, but as members of a living organism, a local church, a body of believers, um, we sometimes uh, then other things in us we didn't see, other people can see for us and can call those things out. Um, That's actually what's going to help us, I think, steward our lives in the right directions when we have a community of people who can help speak into it. Uh, Kelly, we got 30 seconds left. Don't design your life to light in it. <laughs> you know, uh, this chapter really comes from Ecclesiastes, a book where you see a man who accomplished everything. He made it to the top of the mountain of achievement in almost every single way, money, wealth, wisdom, power, kingdom, uh, built things. And he gets to the top and essentially says, there's nothing here nothing more than what was down there at the beginning. And what he concludes in his life is that the greatest joy in life is going to come from the little things right in front of us today, a meal with a good friend, a conversation outside with our children. This is what people in their deathbed say they ache for, is not for more achievement. They say, gosh, for just one more moment with my kids, with my spouse, to just enjoy sunset. It's the little things in life that really are the great things. And so we have to be careful not to try and overly design and and perfectly plan our life and risk not enjoying the wonderful things right in front of them today. Folks, our guest has been Kelly Needham. Her book, Purpose Fooled, you'll enjoy it. You've been listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We've run out of time, but... We'll be back next weekend and hope to uh, catch up with you there. In the meantime, have a wonderful week. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.